off top. Squids, blue blood. Skinks have green blood. And some marine worms have yellow or purple blood. Ice fish, transparent. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, just a heads up. We wanted to record a little bit to talk about the Eagles before we get to the rest of the conversation with Rasilla, which is about basketball, labor issues, race, all types of things. So stick around for that. But before we get to that, uh, Charlie, football me. Um, okay, so we're taping this on Tuesday. Uh, we don't always cover the Monday night games, but this one is particularly significant because the Eagles lost to the Seahawks in a pretty stunning 2017 game where Drew Locke drove the Seahawks down the field and Jalen Hurts threw a perplexing interception with like 45 seconds left. The number one seed now seems likely out of reach. I mean, anything could happen. There's still just a game back of 49ers. The NFC East is maybe in question. They could be a wild card team. And, you know, I think there's they're obviously in a rut. But I, the one, the question I want to ask you, Dominique, is which unit is of bigger concern to you, the offense or the defense? Oh, it's the offense, and I'm not even sure that we can call it a rut because it's kind of been going on all season mm-hmm. long. This team is not as good as the team last year, and some of it's because of luck. I think the defense you can explain away because of some personnel um, deficiencies. The offense is harder to explain away. So they've replaced both coordinators on both sides, as everyone has known. Everyone knows, but they have already replaced one of the defensive or replaced the defensive coordinator with Matt Prisha, which you guys probably know also. And that turned out a little bit better. The defense played better, but when they needed to come through and Matt Patricia defense and, and the defense's defense, uh, there were some really well-thrown balls. So, like it was the lucky kind of catch from DK on that slant that he like pinned through his leg. And then there were some really awesome Two really incredible throws by Drew Locke uh, over Bradbury on the other sideline, on yeah, on the opposite sideline that were tough. So I think you have to be honest. I think the defense gets a stop there. They should get a stop there. So we can be critical of the defense, but you have to be honest about the expectations of this unit. If one of the units was going to take a step back, it was definitely going to be a defense. If one needed to carry a slightly larger load, it would have to be the offense, and they aren't doing it. And I think. You combine the offensive shortcomings with the defensive line, frankly, which is the strength of the defense, not yeah. playing well, like not getting a, I just remember last year felt like a parade of sacks, especially late in games when they had the lead, they would put teams away with those sacks and they're not doing it. So I, I think that is, you know what I think is really interesting though, is to throw you a little curveball. Interesting is not the right word. Funny is the right word, I think. The Cowboys, in order to win the division, need the Giants to beat the Eagles. And so, oh, my gosh, just a bunch of people in cowboy hats doing the Italian fingers all oh, yeah. uh, over the next several weeks just makes me so happy. Just barbecue sauce on spaghetti. It just makes me so excited to see, to hear the accents trying, like Texas accents trying to do New Jersey Italian accents. That is what I'm here for. I mean, yeah, that's the thing that's interesting. So, like, the Eagles probably will still win the NFC East just because of the schedule. Like, the Eagles play, they play Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end the season while the Cowboys have to play the Dolphins, the Lions, the Commanders. By the way, those two Cowboys games are going to be hilarious because whoever wins the Dolphins-Cowboys game is going to be like, we finally beat a good team. 
And the team that loses is going to be like, is going to be like, are, we can't beat good teams. And the same with the Lions game. That's funny. I mean, um, the Eagles count as a good team. Jeez. No, I know, of course. Got, yeah. Got one good one. I, well, I wanted to ask you one more question about, about the Eagles, which is this, that, so the defense does seem like they are essentially a bad unit outside of the four defensive linemen is getting sacks something that's going to be schematic or is it something that this is just who the defense is? Are you saying getting sacks, yeah. getting more good pre- sacks, pressures, quarterback yeah, yeah. hits, tackles for loss, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think it's about scheme up front. Uh, you expect them to get wins. Uh, teams that are going against the Eagles understand that, and they're going to try to uh, design a game plan to nullify the pass rush of the Eagles. We noticed that with Drew Locke. They were not asking him to do much. They were trying to get it out of his hands quickly, which is fine. That's what the Eagles faced last year, and that's what they're going to face. But in the final drive, that was different. They're trying to score. They're throwing the ball. That's when we need them to make plays. They are deep there, so they should be rested. So if the answer was simple, we would have found it by now. One thing that one of the drawbacks of winning, I guess, is a weird way to put it, but they've been winning a lot of games this season by a little bit, is that there is less motivation or impetus to address the concerns that you have. And they've had quite a few concerns. I'm not sure that there's anything that he could have done to address it, but there probably would have been more substantial uh, scheme changes. And if Patricia is going to be a difference maker, they would have made that change sooner had they lost some of those games earlier. So I'm not arguing that they wish they had lost, but they're in a position now where it would be uh, a shock to me if they returned to the Super Bowl. Like you, you need something dramatic to happen. They have a Super Bowl caliber roster, and we know these windows are not infinite. So this is feels like almost a wasted season for them. Do you think they're closer to the Lions than they are to the Cowboys and the 49ers? Oh man, um, I think the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Lions are closer to each other than any of them are to the 49ers. Shocked if they make the NFC Championship game? Yes or no? No, I'm not shocked. If they because get the thing down... is, they're not they're not bad. They they'll yeah they'll they'll be close. Like they're not going to get blown out by any team. They could beat. Uh, they could win two games. Hmm. Right? Unless they're on the 49ers side of the bracket. Um, if they get bounced early in the playoffs, will you look at last year differently when they had one of the easiest schedules in football and they sort of took people by surprise? No, I mean, I think they also had quite a bit of injury luck. They weren't taking people by surprise by the end of the season. They were clearly the best team in football. No, and the, you can't take away, like, that Super Bowl game was impressive. They played well enough to win the Super Bowl. While it won't be remembered as a win, I, I feel like it's um, unfair to, like, somehow have the the shine of last season. I guess it's weird because the – the shadow of this season shouldn't cast backwards, but the shine of last season, I do think has been on them for the early part of this season. We're just coming around to accepting the fact that they're not as good as we thought they were. With the number one seed off the table, we know how important the buy is. It's now the biggest reward in the NFL to get that number one seed, but there's not as big of a difference between two, three, four, five. I mean, obviously you want to be at home. But it's not, it's not as huge of a difference. Would you consider trying to rest Jalen hurts and get his knee healthy? Um, and get them 100% healthy for the playoffs. I know that sounds crazy, but now there's yeah. significantly less stakes. They might be able to beat, win two of the next three games with Mariota in. 
Yeah, no chance because they are not. Uh, I could they could lose to to the um, Giants. I, I don't think they should risk losing any uh, losing their division uh, because they want to get Jalen Hurts healthy. I, I think he actually. He was pretty bad in last night's game. Well, not bad, but he had some bad decisions. He wasn't, like, bad all the way throughout that game. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that they're in a position where they can afford to to get cute like they did last year. Really weird decision to throw the ball deep at the end of that game instead of just trying to play for the field goal and go into overtime. They just, they just seem desperate. Everything yeah. they do seems like a desperation move, right down to that throw, to the changing of the coordinator, to Jalen Hurts' comments after the game saying we're not dedicated. Everything just feels like desperation for this team. You know what's weird, too, is, you know, the the Cowboys game that they won earlier in the season, Jalen Hurts had a similar interception down the stretch. It just seemed like really wonky, bizarre play calling to be throwing the ball deep in those endgame situations. That does feel like desperation. It just feels like pressing more than anything. Yeah, um, it's, it's, um, it's Josh Allen-esque or the old mm-hmm. Josh Allen. We got a new Josh well, Allen. They have the same amount of turnovers this year. For all the all the flack that we gave Josh Allen about throwing too many interceptions, they both have 17 total turnovers. And that's the give and take of having. We don't say we uh, don't include us in that. We you and that's I are fair. not giving Josh Allen flag well, for throwing those interceptions. That's a good point, but it's also like that's the trade off of having a playmaker quarterback like Josh Allen that you expect from Jalen Hurts. But when it's like when it's a tick off with Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts, like when Josh Allen's elbow is hurt last year or Jalen Hurts's uh, knee is hurt this year, the the calculus becomes a little bit different of how you want them to take and not take risks. Absolutely, yes, take less risk. Should we talk to Russell? Exactly. Let's go talk to Ryan. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. Our special guest, Mr. Ryan Rossillo, host of the Ryan Rossillo Show. I can't, I mean, I can't figure out where to start with you. There's so many important things that I want to talk to you about. However, y'all don't got no corners. You're not going to be able to cover Tyreek Hill. You're not going to be able to cover Justin Jefferson. Like, I mean, Cooper DeGene is still in college. You don't get him. 
You don't get them. Y'all don't got no corners. Yeah, I saw a stat the other day that said Seahorn was the last starting white corner, <laughs> and I think it was 2001. And then I remember, like, towards the end of his run, dudes were like, what's he even doing out there? So um, it would be – yeah, right. Did you just say he's a safety? <laughs> so, I, that, so, all right. Obviously, on issues of race, I'm pretty outspoken, and I everyone pretty much knows my opinion. And, like, disgruntled whites don't like me very much. <laughs> However, they will be happy with what I'm about to say. I believe it's racial bias. Like, it's absurd to, to think that there aren't any white people capable of playing corners. All the slot receivers, they could do it. Like, it's just... Racial bias, the only reason why there are no, like, there's no physical limitation. I've seen quick and fast white guys all over this country. Y'all can play corner? Are we, uh, are we sticking Taysom Hill back there at safety? Yeah, poor Taysom Hill. I feel like he's, his snap count's going to be really high because <laughs> he's going to be all over the place. You're going to have to get him at linebacker and every other thing. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, you and I talk about a lot of different things, and maybe, maybe our comfort knowing each other yeah. leads to, to going a little deeper. Look, I, I just think it's – I think it's kind of funny that it, it, it started from a place where it was like, wait, what? <laughs> to then just everybody was like into yeah. it and down and then trying to pick their teams and everything. And, you know, I do, you know, I always think like, okay, wait, what if I actually am seeing this wrong? And, you know, I think there's some people who just suggest like, no, that's never happening. That's never happening. It's like, well, if you're not, if you're not you know, living the experience of somebody who doesn't look like you, then how can you be so certain that you know exactly how everybody reacts yeah. to everything? And I think I remember Dan Lebetard saying this, and it was a really good point, and it was him essentially saying, like, it might not even be this nasty, like, thing. It might be just this inherent visual yeah. thing that happens that people don't realize they're doing. And I started thinking about it a little bit more because, you know, as it pertains to quarterbacks, because whatever the quarterback issue was in the past, which was absurd and ridiculous and, and a great example of racism, I just don't know that it necessarily exists anymore uh, at the quarterback position. I, you know, look, there's people holding on to, to some of the stuff that happened to Lamar pre-draft and all that, but it was like, okay, a couple guys weren't sure if he was going to make it as a quarterback. That's happened to other quarterbacks as well. But when it happens to Lamar, then it turns into a different topic. I'm not here to debate yeah. that one. But when people look at Alex Caruso, like <laughs> prematurely balding, you know, at at college and you go, eh, like, who the hell's he going to guard? And it's like, okay, well, first of all, how much were you actually watching him in college? But like, I, like, it was an eye-opening kind of revelation of like, I don't know that anything is being solved here, but it at least allows you to think like the basketball world that looks at it, Alex Caruso goes no chance. And he's one of the single best defenders in the entire league. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe dudes have had a point. So, we can have, we can have these conversations in part because I think we trust each other. I was talking before we started the show about how I told you a story on your podcast and uh, it was a good story for you to share. Not a good story to have me telling and you looked out for me and did, I didn't even ask you to. You was like, you know what? I think you should put it out there. That might be bad for you. So we have some level of trust so we can have these conversations. But all the people who are listening to this, I don't trust them. So we're going to move on from this conversation <laughs> okay. before either of us say anything that will get us in trouble. Although we get Mahomes, you guys get Mike McDaniel. You can have him. This is before we get into what we have planned for the show. Another topic that I can't talk to very many people about is like union business that um, that was one of the first times Rosillo and I like or at least I had a different opinion and respect for you is because I was talking my union as I always do. It was like five, six years ago. 
and Rosillo was deep into it, talking about the literature. And I was like, this guy's a real, like a real union guy inside and outside of sports. And it was inconsistent with the caricature of a Boston sports guy uh, position. I was surprised by it, but I've appreciated it and used to buy it. I bring that up because of where we are with the Draymond conversation right now. I have been getting a lot of pushback because I've been not defending Draymond as much as I am fighting against um, undefined punishment and harsh punishment. So I guess where are you with the Draymond conversation now? Okay, so you know how much I love the fact that you've been involved with the union stuff. You know, I always joked around with a couple different people, I think, from both unions because I'm so passionate about it and the fact that the players go to the bargaining table just wondering how bad the loss is going to be, you know? And I remember, like, one time I did a rant about the deal the NFL players had done. I was like, this deal's terrible. And then you came in all hot, basically telling me that I was wrong. But the thing is that we actually kind of yeah. agreed because you, you basically were telling me, hey, it's not like they just gave up. You have to understand – when you're talking about over 2,000 players trying to get everybody to go in the same direction, especially with football, with the turnover you have in that sport, that it's just really hard to ask the majority of that constituency to essentially say, like, yeah, I'll hold out for the next group when I might not be getting a check. So, you know, honestly, the owners could probably destroy the players in football even more than they wanted to, but then they'd have to deal with public perception, although I'd say collectively NFL owners have cared the least about public perception of any of the major sports. So we are far more aligned on this stuff, and I am super passionate about it because I just think like maybe after reading about Marvin Miller and reading Lords of the Realm, which is my favorite sports book I've ever read, and I go through it all, and I was like, I actually kind of loved his defiance. That like if, if you know baseball got to a point where if C-League was like, hey, we'll pay you 20 bucks for something and they were like it better be in two tens you know it just didn't matter whatever you proposed we were going to oppose and I had like a, just a ton of respect for him and admiration but at the same time it doesn't mean I agree with every single position that's presented by any of the players union which is funny because at times people be like hey I thought you were a pro player I'm like yeah on the bigger picture I am um it's the same as politics you can feel some way but there are, it doesn't mean I'm aligned with you perfectly with everything that you're fighting for. So, you know, when you land on this 50-50 thing that's just kind of accepted in our, in our world, is it like 50-50 makes sense? It's like, does it really make sense when there's absolutely no benefit to the appreciation of the value of these franchises? When all this stuff is, you know, you just find a way to make all this money and then you're just basically saying your operating costs are split. Like, like whoever could buy a house and be told it's going to be worth 10, mu- 10 times as much, but yet, you know, the big – I don't look. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why whenever these guys claim poor, I'm like, wait, yeah, you're there, basically yeah. annoyed that your, your utilities <laughs> and your property taxes are flirting with you in the black and red, yet – you know when you sell the house, it's worth 10 times as much. Like, that's not a real operating loss to me. So, anyway, yeah. that's, that's my the little Marvin, on uh, appreciation. The Marvin Miller stuff where you brought up is him being op- in, in opposition to everything. I think that's at the core of a lot of my union opinions, and that's at the core of this Draymond conversation is I get in isolation wanting to be aggressive immediately about Draymond considering his track record and what's happening. I get that. I also get once with the story kind of um, had one cycle around the news cycle, we got to, all right, this is about um, Draymond getting better. So let's make it indefinite so he can have as much time as he needs to get better. And it sounds like the union and the league are in collaboration with 
um, Draymond and with the Warriors to do what's best for Draymond. And my fear with that is in isolation, I get it in one situation. However, this stuff works on precedent. And once you, you create an expectation or you see some level of power and authority over to them, you have to trust that they will continue to protect you. And my fear is when you give that up, what you're then doing is trusting Adam Silver. And I know Adam. He's a nice guy. I like Adam. I trust Adam to do what is in the best interest of the players every single time until it is in conflict with his employer. And so that's where I get upset. And so I would love for this Draymond situation to, to, to go a little differently. Like what I would like to see is the league put out a seven-game um, suspension or eight-game suspension consistent with the Artest elbow, or you could bump it up to 10 games if you think that that is fine, or if you think that's appropriate. That's fine. But then the team and Draymond say, all right, we don't care. You don't need to show up to work until we feel like you're right. And that's what I don't like about this situation. Yeah, look, my whole preamble was essentially to say, like, it's it's interesting how the union is playing it out because, all right, you know, Silver still is an employee of the owners. So as as much as he has kind of pivoted that dictator role post-Stern mm-hmm. to being more aligned with the players, like at the root of it, he's still going to be making decisions that benefit ownership. But in this case... I do think that they were being sensitive to kind of the sensibilities of today where if you frame it as something with what's going on with him. And I thought after the Gobert chokehold, Kerr was very much on Draymond's side. And I didn't know if that was Kerr kind of just giving up with Draymond or if it was him kind of alerting us to like, man, things have been kind of messed up with him for a little while and I hope he's going to be okay. And then when Nurkic is like, I hope the brother gets the help he needs, I was like, man, like he just hits you in the face and you're showing sympathy to him. Maybe it's because they won. I don't know. But I I think this is playing out in a way that plays out today where I think, one, it's great that we have a heightened awareness of mental struggles, you know, mental health awareness. But it also feels a bit like it's just being packaged for a guy that mm-hmm. keeps hitting everybody where now I'm supposed to be sympathetic towards him. And, you know, one thing that I've said a lot on my podcast when we do the life advice and stuff at the end, it's like, you know, anybody that's ever gone through anything, yeah, it sucks. You know, I have sympathy for it. But another part of it is it doesn't mean you you get to be right yeah. about every conflict. And I think that can be something that happens where it's like, man, I'm really going through something. It's like, okay, so everybody else just has to defer to you. And like everything you do is right all the time because like you're, you're in a place right now that isn't great. So the other part of it where I, I agree, like the open-endedness almost makes it feel worse, but I thought it, I thought the way they presented it, it did sound good when it was like, Hey, just right now with, with whatever he's going through, whatever he needs, it didn't feel right to just put a number on it, which the framing of that, I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I can kind of see it. I think the other part of it was like, wait, so the union, and this gets back to union commissioner relation, where it's like, okay, you want to punish our guy. We represent the players. We're going to make sure our player's good. Like, I got to admit, if I were playing and I'm in the union, like, so we're going out of our way to protect the guy that's punching the rest of us? (laughs) So, like, what about the other 470 dudes? Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that sounds funny, but, like, I get – you you've been in the building. That's not really no how no it no plays no no. It plays I, out to make sure that the highlight. That is Go how ahead. it plays out. In some cases, I don't disagree with you. That's the sh- like. Ah, 
I push. It's one of the jobs in sports, being the head of the union, because there are no wins. Like, when's the last time someone's like, "Hey, that executive director did an awesome job." All union executive directors aren't bad. Even if you think that they all are bad, sometimes they do good stuff, but it's never celebrated. And that's the tough thing about being the union because they had a union because it can always be better. And the players many times look at you as it's your responsibility to make it better and the fans the same way. So I do assume that some of this, some of the players inside the union are like, yeah, throw the book at him because of what he is doing. And this is the tough thing that I had to come to terms with, like in my career in the union was you have to remind yourself that what you are protecting is the process, not the player. And so when someone is um, charged with domestic violence and then the league wants to uh, suspend them, of course, I don't like domestic violence. Of course, I would like to punish this person as long as possible. But what you have to do, or at least what you have to understand is you are not being in judgment of what they have done or what they are being accused of doing. What you are doing is ensuring that the same process is being followed because while you may agree that this person is in trouble or deserves a big, great punishment, what you have to understand is somewhere down the line, there will be someone who you do not believe deserves the punishment. And once you have set the precedent that it's okay to punish this aggressively, in this situation, you can't then go back and fight for it. So, and that's I, that's fundamentally my concern with this is like you always have to protect the process, and that's one thing that is very uniquely American. Is like while this is not the court of law, there is some due process in America, and you like to stick to it because that is how you protect. Even if you know, if someone's pleads guilty, you still have to go into the court and do those things. If someone you watch someone ex- or hurt someone you don't get to just execute them in the street so this gotten a little bit dramatic but i get passionate about this this sort of stuff right charlie well i wanted to ask you because like draymond to me is almost unique it's almost hard to imagine that this is like a precedent setting case because it's rare for a player to be this good and this successful and have this many i don't none of them seem like major major incidents but this many minor incidents stack up over the course of a career because usually the the punch yeah the the pool punch is major but but, uh, aside from that yeah I think your your point is is valid that it, the use of indefinite is a huge problem for the players. But in a larger sense, I don't think that we're going to see money, many more Draymonds with stacking small incidents leading to this. Well, he wasn't suspended for the pool punch, which you know now people retroactively are saying had he been punished for that, that meant that all of the things would be better now. I don't know. Um, I, I think that's a massive assumption. I would tell you right now, punishment – Content is my least favorite content (laughs) in all of sports because I've watched the TV shows. I've been on the same TV shows. And when you're at the desk and something like this happens, and then the one guy says five games, then the next guy says 10 games, and then the next guy's like, I'm going to destroy this segment, 30 games. And you're just like, then you go back to the five-game guy because I'd always be like the five to 10-game guy where I'd be like shrug and go, okay, like – cool you won you know it's like it's like sitting there bidding on the prices right (laughs) where it's like how 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 much can i show that i care about some sort of punishment for this dude and if you don't show enough then you lose that segment so um i know that i always kind of come off and it's not because of of my passion for for union issues Mm -hmm. i have a pretty fundamental rule and that is like i would want the same punishment for myself that i would want for someone i despise and I think when you're on TV, when you're on radio, 
a lot of people in our business kind of lose their minds because they they want to prove that they're you know and again this isn't as serious as some right. of the other stuff that we're talking about here um, so I'm not trying to be dismissive of it at all, but you know, even with the jaw thing, unless there was more information, and I don't know, Dominique, if you can set me straight on that, but like the jaw thing in the beginning was they didn't really have much on them, so that's why Charlie, it mm-hmm. was so like, hey, just step away, and then you'll do the interview with Jalen Rose. You know, I think that they were looking for a friendly landing space, and I know Jalen got criticized for it, but again, if you're Jalen, you're not saying no right. to that interview, so like, I'm not. I'm not um, down on anything regarding that, but like that was all very choreographed. And then it was like, oh, wait, you keep screwing up. So now the public wants you to be hammered. And I look, I don't know that I was that popular in saying like, I still don't know that he deserved that long of a suspension considering what happened. Again, knowing that I'm sure I don't know all of the details of the investigation. So that's yeah. not for me to say that like, I think 10 games for Draymond is too many. The indefinite sounds massive when it happens because nobody seems to know the actual definition of indefinite. There's so much trust uh, that we're ceding to them and we'll, we won't do punishment conversations. You had something, Charlie, I had a little something. Well, to just gonna be, I was just going to say, it's Shams was reporting that it's likely going to be about three weeks. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the exact amount of games, but that's how long his counseling is going to be and then they'll reassess. All right, we'll move on to some real sports. Uh, um, to I mean, not real sports, some actual sports conversations in a second. I, I will say that closing out this conversation there's a couple of things that i find particularly interesting about and maybe i'm linking a couple of uh players in an unusual way but you talk about ja you talk about um draymond and zion williamson which is probably the curveball you weren't expecting there's something to be said about trying to to kurt to um address someone's behavior and get them to change the way that they behave there are some people who do not respond to the incentives that you believe that they're going to respond to. So we often think about punishment as a form of like, it's supposed to correct the behavior. I don't think, and this is obviously like, I, I want to separate myself from psychoanalyzing any individual player, but I do know that there are some people who there is no amount of punishment that will address, that will cause them to behave differently. And so I linked these three players together because that was which was the most shocking thing about the John Morant situation was it seemed like an easy behavior to correct and all the incentives were aligned for him to stop doing it. Like he got off the hook, he got off the hook, and he did it again immediately after. The same thing for Draymond. It's like you got off the hook, you got off the hook, and then you kept doing it. And then there's something about the way that he was behaving in the Gobert thing that was like, this is unusual. And so – then to leap to some more on the court stuff with Zion, that's the thing that I think is a bit interesting because Zion's been in the league for, I mean, he's not a young player anymore. What is he? Was it six for him now? It's the fifth season. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, he missed a full his, season. Yeah. yeah. Fifth yeah. season. Okay. So this is not new. The conversation we're having about him taking this more seriously, getting in shape, being more professional. He, we keep wanting him to do it. And it's not happening. So I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, but public pressure, ridicule is not going to fix any of this stuff. And I know we talked a little bit about like mental health and how it's a bit of a buzzword. And I think everything good comes with some drawbacks and you have to accept the drawbacks. 
The good with mental health is we're aware of these things. The drawback is sometimes people use it as currency, and then they throw it out there and say, oh, I'm unwell mentally, even when they, or to try to avoid repercussions of their actions. So it's a long, meandering topic, but I just, it's something that's in the back of my mind often when we talk about these players is the assumption that everyone's a rational actor when no individual is a rational actor. The point of like economics is that, yes, over the broad swath of society, we will tend to make rational decisions. But when we're talking about individuals, you think that these punishments are going to um, make them change their behavior. Clearly, it's not for certain people. Yeah, and I think just to add to that quickly, I don't know that the punishment's always handed out as an idea that it's some rehabilitation. It's that it's a corporation yeah. worth billions of dollars, yeah. and if you were the commissioner's office, you can't be like, well, punishment hasn't worked in the past, so we're not going to announce anything. Oh, like yeah. You have to show that you care about the presentation of your product. So that's what we're talking about, even though it's pretty clear that like, Draymond's only going at certain days. <laughs> Yeah. you know so, so there is some conscious decision is, being made <laughs> yeah so you know if it were completely like this uncontainable rage yeah. based on stuff that he's dealing with in his life um i don't know man there's there's a, there's a specific lane of dude he seems to be going after which tells me this might be able to be corrected all right charlie let's talk sports robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. I mean, we have a special opportunity here. We have a noted James Harden superfan with us um, <laughs> in Ryan Rosillo. And now's the time to talk about it. We're taping this on Tuesday after the Clippers won their eighth game in a row. Harden scored 21 in the fourth quarter, a career high, and he's sort of figured it out inch by inch after a really rough start with the Clippers. Um, And it's interesting because it's coincided with Kawhi Leonard playing excellent basketball as well. I was wondering with you guys, do you think this version of Harden, which we've seen before when he first gets to new teams, and this version of the Clippers is sustainable? For those new to me, uh, not the biggest Harden (laughs) fan, Um, you know, and and I do love when it's like, oh, you know, you like – you like Luca, but you don't like Harden. You know, One's good in the playoffs. Its own, uh, accusa- <laughs> yeah, uh, its own accusation. And I'll be like, hey, when Luca asks for three trades in 24 months, then then we'll be even. We'll be we'll be totally even. 
So, um, and look, I actually probably complain about Luca a little bit more than, than most of the national guys, despite the fact that he's absolutely unstoppable. Maybe he would be my number one pick for like, I need a bucket. I need a bucket. The pick would be Luca because he just gets to wherever he wants to go to on top of the passing. So with the Harden thing, you know, I see a different guy in the playoffs. Uh, you can go back and it'll happen every year. It happens every year on television where somebody will pull up and be like, hey, the man still averages 28 or whatever. There's something different with him in the playoffs. There's something that makes him hesitant. There's something that, that just kind of, shuts down with him i've seen it i could go through it i could do a, a, a documentary on it so as good as it looks right now that's always going to be in the back of my mind now the great thing for harden this year is that you know it's weird with basketball where they'll do the wrong thing first because of feelings knowing that they're going to stop doing it and when you play westbrook off the basketball or you're pretending westbrook's still the point guard and harden's off the basketball or you're pretending that westbrook's still with the main two guys and Kawhi and paul george but harden's going to come off the bench like you're watching it all going well this is stupid and ty Lue's a great coach and you knew that he was like okay sorry westbrook like we know you've been so happy now with us but now you're going to go back to being miserable and being the fourth piece here because westbrook as we know just cannot operate unless he has the ball in his hands and you're not going to give it to him in comparison to those other three guys that are terrific players now hard in the beginning is out of shape doesn't really matter he can be out of shape because he's not going to move a lot although that golden state game the other night i think that's the best defensive game i've seen him play in years uh the other part of it is like even though i don't necessarily like him it doesn't mean i think he's going to score zero points and there was stuff that was happening in the beginning of the stretch with the clippers where his attempts at the rim were far off mm -hmm. anywhere he had been in the past and that was a diminishing number over like seven or eight years since this rough stretch that he was first through the Clippers, he's now back at like a reasonable number of attempts at the rim, which means he's trying to get to the rim more and the finishing is even better. Um, you know, he's had some weird shooting stuff that's happened where you're like, look, he's still a terrific shooter. So the numbers are better and the plus minus stuff that was happening with him was completely unfair because he was actually playing with the second unit and not the two other awesome players. So now if you look at the Westbrook Harden plus minus switches, guess what happened? As Harden's now with the good players, Harden's plus minus has been terrific. So, you know, even if I don't like him, when the plus minus stuff was happening with him in the first week or so, I was like, this isn't even fair because like it sounds good. Oh, this guy kind of sucks. So uh, this is a long play for me all the time. I would not want to be in business with him. You know, it's funny, he did an interview where he was like, I really needed to go somewhere I could get paid. That was the first thing he said, okay, before he said anything about winning. Like, it was very quickly followed by the winning and the good team and all that stuff in L.A. and having the roots there. But he wanted to go to Balmer and leave Philly because he felt like Philly. And look, I take hard and side on this. I don't know how any player takes a $13 million pay cut, does a one-and-one -one with a player option for a team without some kind of understanding that everything is going to be fine. Now, I've been told by the people on that side of it, I am absolutely wrong. There were no promises made. I was like, man, I've been watching this league a long time. I don't see a lot of guys that just leave $13 million on the table for P.J. Tucker, which was even funnier because Harden was like, I need to get more credit for this. And then was like, man, he brought it up like three times last year. He's like, I'm not getting more credit. It's like, well, maybe you weren't getting more because then he basically that's why he called Maury a liar, which again, I think is more of an ownership decision than is Daryl Maury. Maybe he was in a tough spot with the whole thing. So they are on a tear right now. But if you're telling me Kawhi, Paul George and Harden and whatever the rest of it is, they get another big and they're healthy. I'm, I'm like, okay, this, this, this could happen. Cause yep. Kawhi still has these moments. You're like, God, he is so good. Yeah. But history tells us it's kind of a bad bet for an assumption that as good as it looks right now, it's going to look there. So it's not a night-to-night -night thing with me because I knew there'd be nights where it still would look pretty good. Um, I just don't know that I'm going to sign up for it unless, the, you know, this is how it looks all season. But there's likely going to be a time 
where you can't count on one of those guys. I mean, and I guess that's the argument for bringing in Harden. I, I, I've uh, tried my best to defend Harden as much as I could, and I always assumed that he did not care what anybody thought. That's what That was his superpower in negotiations and trade, enforcing trades, but him trying to argue that we sh- we owed him some credit in uh, the 76ers for the 76 for him taking that pay cut suggests that he does care at least somewhat about his image like all the way back to the fat suit stuff I would have thought he didn't give a damn at all the one major I think uh, shining moment in James Harden history is he was right to get the hell up out of Brooklyn as all co- as uncomfortable as it made us he looked at the one guy that a lot of people could feel uh, less love for than him and Kyrie Irving and was like nah. That man don't want to get the shot. He don't want to win. He don't care about any of this. So we'll see what happens when they get to the playoffs. This is another one. Or this is one of those teams that I think uh, that's what matters. Like for both Kawhi being healthy in the playoffs and James Harden not shriveling in the playoffs. Yeah, even a couple of those games before Kawhi got hurt mm-hmm. in the Phoenix series, you're like, damn, like he's doing. And Kawhi doesn't need to be quick. You know, his shoulders and his hands and his arms, like he is genetically different. And even when you're watching it happen, be like, how is he getting free? How is he getting this space? How He is just built in a certain way. And look, even the Nets thing, I kind of side with Harden on that. He's like, I came here for this, and now this guy's not going to play because he watched a YouTube video. <laughs> so, um, again, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. now I'm going to turn it into something else where I, I don't really no, want to get in a vaccine though. debate. But Intro. Uh, uh, my issue is how can you be a foxhole guy when you are – playing in front of millions of people and playing badly on purpose to get your way. Like that is a wiring I would never sign up for in a player. Like towards the end of the Houston stuff, I'll never forget a cross court pass he made to John Wall where it went behind Wall and out of bounds. And Wall looked at him like, what are you doing? And then as I always bring up the Sacramento game when he was with the Nets, like I sent somebody a team a text being like, are you okay? <laughs> like this is – this is insane that somebody would take the floor and do this on purpose and play like this. Like that, I don't know. How good I, is I the just, defense? You mentioned that he's playing better defense now. I I don't I don't have any memory. It was a game. Of, uh, I mean, yeah, it was one game where he tried. Well, he was he was just really good. He was timing everything great. He had strips. He had a sick block on Kaminga. You know, because I always feel like there's a there's a rule on league pass that if the home team has a player that we've all collectively decided he's terrible on defense because he's actually terrible on defense, that the home team when the guy gets a steal or a block would be like they say he can't play any defense, and it's like well yeah because he because he does it most of the time. The other thing that always comes up with Harden is like he'll do a really good job keeping his mm-hmm. position in the post because he's a stout, yeah. thick dude with a lot of strength and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, no, he's an awesome post defender because teams are constantly dumping it down into the blocks to run their <laughs> offense now. So, like, the one or two times that he gets somebody in the post on an empty side, like, oh, yeah, no. So, uh, I, I haven't run the latest defensive numbers through this stretch. I don't know that all of a sudden I'm going to bank on him, but he's he's been a lot better, but he's also been a lot better because it's been easier because the other guys, and George is back after the hip injury, and Kawhi, I think, is like 28, 29 points per game in December. So Kawhi's really unlocking all of this right. stuff on top of a more aggressive, more efficient Harden than we saw that first week or so where he was basically being played out of position, at least not on the court, but rotationally as well. He is the guy who will be hunted in the playoffs as far mm. as defense is concerned. So I think that's what it comes down to at some point. Zubak would like a word with that. Oh, uh, fair point. All right, we'll get to that when we get to it. What else you want to get to, Charlie? Uh, we'll move on to more NBA. But, yeah, I do think it's interesting just that this Harden on this team with 
Kawhi, because you referenced Luka as the number one guy you'd want to get a bucket when it matters in a postseason game. I think Kawhi's actually right there with him, which is crazy because it turns Harden into sort of a regular season innings eater um, in a way to keep them healthy and fresh for the postseason, which who knows? Um, So one other thing out West, uh, Tim McMahon wrote an article about Devin Booker playing point guard for the Phoenix Suns on Monday. The Suns team is unquestionably unbelievably talented at the top end. Brad Beal's out again with another ankle injury for another few weeks, and it has just looked a little bit scratchy, their level from time to time. Um, They don't have that many moves to make with the assets they have, but they're still really talented. So does it feel like the Suns have enough to you? I think the top of the West is is still obtainable for a lot of teams. You know, Denver was awesome last year, but – you know, I, I bring this up probably too much, but if you were going to start calling like Denver one of these all-time teams, then then we need to see like a sustained run. Uh, they had a below 500 record on the road, which is like unheard of. Um, and even defensively, I think there's times you think like, okay, could we get these guys? So I don't want to sound dismissive of Denver, but I don't look at Denver. Well, this isn't dismissive. These are just facts. Like Denver is not Golden State for that five-year run where you're like, how the hell are we going to beat these guys? Okay. Uh, I probably still like Denver because I can default to them. I know what it's going to look like already, and the defense was more than good enough after a couple of years of wondering if Jokic could get exposed like he did in the, the, the Suns in four series, right, where it was just a man like Chris Paul's putting this guy in a blender. So they have so much length, and, and they all Denver's depth is always better because you're playing with Jokic. You know, look at who Aaron Gordon is now after playing in Orlando all those years. He's just a better player because his life is easier. Jamal Murray's life is easier than De'Aaron Fox's. So when I look at like Phoenix, you know, Minnesota impressed the hell out of me with that Miami win. I mean, it just keep they keep rolling. They're beating good teams. We know the defense is the best in the league. I think Ant has the real chance to be something special, like face of the league kind of special stuff. That's just how how great I think he is when he's locked in and he was awesome in that game. So I would never write Phoenix off, especially with everything they're going through right now, because I'm not sure I know who I think like the three favorites are mm-hmm. in the West. And then there's an Oklahoma City element to this too, where they're probably only going to get better and they have every single asset. So maybe they just go, hey, we'll overpay for something to add to this for whatever our playoff run is. So I'm not going to write Phoenix off. It's just that you wonder how healthy will Durant stay. I am all in on Booker. I oh love the guy. He can play point. I mean, I, I love him because when he gets into it with other guys, like I almost always take his side. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like that guy, that guy is screwing up tonight. Like let him know. Like I like his confrontation maybe more than anybody else in the league. I've never been a huge Beal guy because I just felt like he's incredibly skilled. Don't get Charlie upset. But, Charlie's you know, a we, Wizards fan. So. No, I'm on the same page. That. This is. No, exactly I know. I, I know. I know. Years. I know you are not. I know you're not pro Beal. I just don't want to start talking too much Beal. You're gonna break out in the hives. <laughs> uh, look, he's an incredibly skilled guy, and if he's your third dude with yeah. with everybody overloading to a to a you know peak version of Durant, then it should make his life easier instead of just dribbling the ball all the time and like hitting those step backs with the Wizards and losing every single game. So. Um, you know, the center thing I was a little dubious about, but like they didn't want eight in there anymore. Mm-hmm. They didn't think he was a guy and they just didn't think he had the personality for it. And I think there's plenty of evidence to prove that they were right about it. And I think Vogel's done a really good job of the way he uses the centers with, with Nurkic and Eubanks. I think there's collectively like some pieces every night. And we're like, oh, that guy's playing well tonight. You know, like a Kogi actually is kind of important for them because of his defense and yeah. some of the, the, the stuff that he can do that he's developed. So 
I wouldn't write them off, but man, I, you know, they, they got those guys together for one or two games and now it's over again for a month. So I, I just wonder how comfortable, like they weren't comfortable right. last year going up against Denver, like Booker and Durant had some incredible nights, but that was like, that was like ISO stuff where those guys were just showing off their skills. So I'd love to see, a, I don't know, it was a crazy concept, play together for a little while before I actually know who you are. That's cool. I, I mean, I, I'm rooting for Booker. I think, like, would it be fair to say that he stepped up in the last few seasons in a way that is inconsistent with normal, like, player development? Because I thought that we knew what Booker, Devin Booker was, and maybe it's partially with him – that article was talking about him being a, a little bit more like a point – or not being a little bit – becoming a, a a really good point guard. I was thinking about you when I read it because you're one of the people who I know loves the old-school style of point guard. And while we've moved to this new uh, Luka point guard style, I guess, is the best example. And James Harden, I know a lot of people think is like the originator of the score first um, point guard. Devin Booker took a step – defensively I thought last season and I guess it goes back to people probably point to the bubble as like the big jump for Devin Booker and that's what I fear more than anything is that they've put all their assets into this season and if those assets aren't healthy we're going to be robbed of seeing Devin Booker in any of those big moments because he seemed to be to show in times that he is top top tier of the NBA in those conversations with anybody. Am I, uh, is that a reach or is that something you would agree with? I agree with it. Look, it, you know, three or four years into his career, you know, they still weren't that good. Right. And this is the part with Booker where I was like, well, if he's that good, like get into the playoffs, like at least get into the playoffs. But he was averaging like seven assists per game. So whatever his duties will be with this non-point guard group and then non-Beal stuff where you figured he was going to handle the ball a little bit more and they would switch up their attack, which I think was the goal, would be, hey, we have all these on-ball creators that are actually good mm -hmm. teammates. You know, I don't know about the Beal part of it. Like, the beauty of Golden State is all those guys wanted to be teammates together, where I think you have these Westbrook and Harden fraud years where the numbers are absurd, okay, historically. But, like, I would tax them at, like, a 30% usage rate, okay, where I would go, all right, but if you have the – like, I don't think that's fun to play. Uh, I think Westbrook in his peak years with Oklahoma City, those guys get into the playoffs. It's like, wait, now you want me to shoot? <laughs> like, what? what is this? And, you know, people always come back at me with, like, assists. It's like, dude, if you have the ball as much as some of these guys have the ball now in today's games, like, if you can't get seven assists, that's <laughs> that's a joke. Like, at some point you have to pass. At some point you get closed off. At some point you don't have the angle on the shot. So I like the combination of, of Booker and Durant because I think those guys are willing teammates. And I know that with Booker, like, there's a real competitiveness there that I never have to doubt. And look, in the finals, I, and I know they blew the 2-0 the lead against Giannis and he goes nuclear, but, you know, Booker hit for 40 in two of those games in the NBA Finals. He had 40 in game one against the Clippers prior to that. Um, he had 47 in the closeout <sighs> game against the Lakers. And so, like, you're, you're right. Um, he had 47 and 45 in the Clippers series that they – I mean, dude, his numbers in that series are nuts. But he also, I think, is somebody that's not this ball dominant, I'm going to get my assist guy. I just – I love him. I actually think he's, like, underrated, so I'm with you. I, I, I want to see that guy in big playoff moments because I think he is – I mean, I talk about wiring all the time. He is wired for that. Like, he wants to be out there. He wants to – you know, show you that he's better than you. And that's all I want in my athletes. Yeah, we're waiting for Jason Tatum, your beloved Celtics, to do the same thing uh, in the, late in the season. Um, 
What else you want to hit, Charlie? We don't got a whole bunch of time left, but I, I, um, Ryan talked about a bunch of teams that could be interesting to talk about, like everyone's favorite team right now, the Thunder. They're so young and fun. Um, Sixers. Yes, Sixers. Let's do Sixers, right, Sixers to Sixers. finish up. Okay. You brought it up. So I think this is fascinating. And I, uh, we were, I was texting Dominique, who was texting Ryan before the show, with a little bit of pushback. So I think it's gone a little bit under the radar. And Bede is averaging 40 in December. He had 40 again. On Monday night, it was a loss to the Bulls, but he's been on an absolute tear this entire season, particularly this month. But I think after winning the MVP, flaming out in the playoffs, whether that was Embiid, Harden, or combination of the both, people don't take him as seriously as they did last year. But this is a crowded top of the East with a lot of good teams. The Celtics are excellent. The Bucks are excellent. The Heat seem better than last year, um, which makes them especially dangerous come playoff team. Uh, plan time. Where do you think the Sixers fit in with all of this, with how, how good Embiid and Maxi have been? Okay, I mean, Embiid is on an absolute tear. He's sitting fourth quarters, and he's putting mm-hmm. up these numbers. Uh, he had a number the other day that was basically, nobody's done this this many games in a row at center since Moses Malone, and I love Moses Malone. Uh, may have had a Moses Malone jersey that we wore late nights <laughs> in my 20s, maybe slash 30s. T-shirt or no T-shirt? Anyway, oh. Okay, no t-shirt, good, good. come on. Once I filled yeah. out a little bit, the whole goal was yeah. to never put a it's t-shirt ridiculous. on again. So, yeah. Uh, I I think it's kind of like a Lamar thing here. Mm-hmm. I always like to do NBA stars and their comp, their QB comps in the NFL where Lamar, although statistically not off the charts, I, I think there's a part of just watching the Ravens, and I kind of felt like I was all in after that Sunday night game where I'm like, man, you want to talk valuable, like the actual meaning of the word valuable? Like, dude, you take him off this team, you know, and – and look, I, I like some of the receivers yeah. finally, you know, because it felt like it had been a while uh, with no Andrews. Granted, the defense has been incredible with a lot of stuff they're doing. So the point is, is like Lamar, we know what's going to happen. He could win MVP. Ravens could be the one seed. But his playoff numbers are so bad in comparison to who he's been in the regular season that there's just going to be a lot of people that go, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it and I'll take the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll take... I'll take the bills if they find a way into this whole thing. And I wouldn't even tell that person that they're necessarily wrong because it's going to be in the back of my head too. Embiid's stats in the playoffs are fine, but then you're going to remember that he is still somebody that is not like Jokic where Jokic can find a way to create something with the ball in his hands where once Embiid has the ball in his hands, it's more likely like you're powering to the lane, you're taking the shot, or you're hoping to initiate some contact in the foul. It's it's why the center is not as valuable as the perimeter guys because of how this game is played. Like you need the dominant on ball creator and as great as Embiid is I don't know that you visualize like him going all right I've clear out I've got this even though he kind of can uh at his size which is absurd but I think the cool thing for Embiid is that I think collectively most people really like him so much that they haven't hammered him the way they would we normally do our NBA stars and now the guy with an MVP we normally decide collectively we think that guy's a loser until he gets a little bit further in the playoffs. I don't think it's because we like him as much as it's because he's had some really fortunate shields there. Like he had the Markel Fultz situation. He had um, Simmons, Simmons. who just basically his career derailed in an Atlanta series. Simmons situation, and then he had James Harden. We're finally getting to the point where it's not going to be anybody else to blame. But anyway, I cut you off. No, that's a really good point. Like the Simmons part of it, he was going to draft behind mm-hmm. all that. And, and it, you know, you can just throw the MB playoff numbers back yeah, at me and be like, back. hey, it's not him, it's not him. It's like, okay, so why are the rules different for him? Because in the NBA, when you're the star and he is that, 
And it's like, wait, you still haven't gotten into the second round this whole time? Maybe it's because he missed the first two seasons and played 31. Like, I was shocked. If you look at the start of his career and how great it's gone, like, I was wrong about him. Because I'm like, who has a great career with this kind of start? Like, and granted, the Sixers with Hinky, they were like, cool, do you not want to play again this year? Awesome. No problem. So, uh, he's on fire. They played the fourth easiest schedule. I feel like every night in the last few weeks when I pull up a Sixers game, I'm like, wait, they're playing Detroit again? You know, it's a Charlotte again or whatever. And so, the schedule's been a little bit easier. I still think Boston and a Milwaukee that figures it out is better than them. Um, and maybe, maybe it happens to him this year if he doesn't get out of the second round. But uh, I don't. Look, it's not impossible for them to win the East, but I have You reminded me of something that um, – so when I first uh, went to the NBA union, my first experience, my experience there was like um, it's a lot like the NFL union except there's a whole lot more quarterbacks. And so what I mean by that is the quarterbacks think they're special and they don't find out that the league actually doesn't think of you any differently than us. They treat you just like us, and it makes it difficult to manage the union when the quarterbacks come in and start acting all different. And then sooner or later, they figured out, like Drew Brees, when he got injured, he's like, oh, yeah, they don't really care about me. Uh, same thing with Peyton Manning when he got hurt. Oh, yeah, they don't really care about me. Way I bring, the reason why I brought it up is because you talked about uh, Embiid and making a comp to an NFL quarterback, and it's also the same like unfair situation where there are so many factors that determine how you're going to be or how much success you'll have in the postseason for either quarterbacks or stars or teams. But we have never cared and we're not going to start caring now. Fundamentally, your career is going to be boiled down to a couple of bullets. And the first one is, did you win a chip or nah? And if the answer is no, nah, I don't care how good your postseason numbers are. No one's going to care how many um, people had mental health breakdowns on your watch or how poorly the roster was constructed. You won't be com- you won't be remembered as one of the greats unless you put some rings on your finger, which is why, yeah, LeBron's decision always comes to mind. It's like, yeah, they weren't they weren't helping my man out. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. LeBron, you know, is chasing a ghost. Yeah. And it's one of the things with Jordan where the resume is so absurd that I don't really blame this generation because we've told them that Jordan's this unimpeachable, like just you're not going to reach it. You can't surpass him. Look what he did. Rings, rings, rings. Bird, you can't say you're great unless you've got one. And so this generation, like the decision didn't really bother me uh, you know, I know the, the the framing of it all, whatever, and in the moment, people get all worked up. And it's, it was such a classic example of like, hey, do you still care about this that much a year later? You're like, oh, you don't, do you? You don't. You're like, you actually have no emotional reaction to it whatsoever. Like, I don't, I don't know that. You know, you got all these this the the older generation of the NBA, those players. I, I've never seen a, a previous generation despise a current generation and talk about. Sorry, I didn't mean to oh, swear no, on this pod, but you, you you get the point, and so. Or now you're going to get – like, there's – look, if LeBron had decided to join the Warriors when everybody else is there, it doesn't mean like, well, hey, you you got you to give it to him because he's trying to get a ring. Like, no, there's there's a level to it of you be like, okay, this is actually gross, but I just don't know how you can tell these guys that rings are the only thing that matters, and then when you're seven years into your career and you're supposed to be one of the greatest players of all time and you don't have one, then they're not going to start moving the pieces around. But, look, with the new CBA – Good luck trying to do that ever again. It's yeah, that's true. Now it's all about the framing of all this stuff, and I, I think it's uh, part of the 
proliferation of media in general. We need something to talk about, and it becomes uh, a new conversation every day. And uh, I I can't give the NBA uh, out here, but I do think that our focus on rings has made the regular season less enjoyable. But also, fundamentally, NBA, 82 is too many games, and that's a whole nother conversation that we're too late in the podcast to dive into. But I can see Ryan wants to disagree with me. Well, yeah, you're okay, fine. 82 is too many. But if you played 60, then guys would play 45. Yeah. And it's not always on the players. It's not always on the players. It's a lot of science that I don't know that anybody's come to a clear conclusion on. I've talked to really smart teams that are like, we've gone through all the load management stuff. And guess what? Dude still got hurt. Um, and we don't know that it's, you know, there's, this is a whole other thing. But like, if, if you're a doctor and you've spent years researching how to keep players healthier, like, are you ever going to come to a conclusion that tells you the last few years is a complete waste of time? <laughs> no. You know? So I think there was a lot of push for that, which we've definitely pivoted from there a little, but I do know this, and you know it well. These these um, these leagues are not in the business of reducing content to yep. sell. So good luck. Good luck with your shorter season. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's the that's – we had this, this um, show a few weeks ago when we were talking about the in-season tournament. Um where it's like the actual problem, they're trying to fix the problem without addressing the issue. It's like, we're trying to make these games more intense. And like football, they have too many games also. It works. However, um, it, right now it works perfectly because every game matters. And so the intensity yeah. is high. So I think that, uh, I mean, that's, uh, again, I'll have to have you back on or you'll have me on your show or something because I feel like our conversations are very interesting and there's not enough time in one show to hit all the important topics. But I appreciate you for joining us. Um, Charlie, anything else? Shut it down. That's it. All right. Appreciate you, Charlie. Thanks a lot, Ryan, for joining us. I look forward to having you on again uh, when football cools down. If you got time for me, I appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you in Vegas. You going to the Super Bowl? I plan to attend. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll have to get ga- you have to gallivant with yeah. me and, and Charlie in Vegas. Get some, get some drinks or something. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you to all the producers. Megan, Serafina, Brian, Kevin. I found out that Brian, who went to Michigan, his priance is went to Ohio State. I didn't know that before. All right. Bye. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.